At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Decades ago, I started growing food in my front and backyard, and I realized that my mission in life is to inspire and empower others to grow their own nutrient-dense, healthy, organic food. Because of this, a lot of people have come to me with their gardening questions over the years, and that got me thinking, what if we put together a community that would help budding gardeners blossom? So I finally made the idea a reality with my Urban Farm U member program. Each month, your membership includes three live online events, a monthly class, a chit-chat with an expert, and a monthly coaching session, plus access to the experts on our member page and a significant discount on our signature courses. I'm deeply committed to transforming our global food system, and I do this by empowering you to grow your own food. The Urban Farm Membership Program is a simple way to get going. Please join me in transforming your food system today. To learn more, go to urbanfarmmembership.org or text membership to 33444. That's urbanfarmmembership.org or text membership to 33444. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food Revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Kelly Houle of Book of Kells Press to talk about her experience with botanical art. Kelly is a botanical and wildlife artist, calligrapher, and founder of Books of Kells Press, a 501c3 nonprofit that works to create handmade books and original art to raise awareness about science and nature and to raise money for humanitarian causes. Kelly is also creating a handwritten illuminated manuscript based on the origin of species by Charles Darwin, in addition to a handful of other illustration projects. Kelly's original paintings, handmade books, and prints are in numerous public and private collections around the world. Additionally, she is currently developing a pilot art and science program to help create monarch butterfly habitats as teaching gardens in schools. Welcome to the show today, Kelly. Thank you, Greg. It's good to be here. Absolutely. As I as I told you in our pre-talk, I've kind of been watching you for a few years, not in a stalker kind of way, but in an amazed kind of way about your art. So that's really why I wanted to get you on the show, because what you're doing is so amazing. So, and I shared a bit about you in our intro. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. Well, you know, I love learning and I've always felt comfortable in kind of being in the role of the student, Mm -hmm. and I have kind of what are 
on the, what on the surface appear to be diverse interests in uh-huh. not only the arts, but in math and science as well. Um, I have a degree in atmospheric science. I'm a certified math and science teacher, but I also have an MFA in poetry. Oh, and nice. I've learned from uh, various teachers and workshops here and there how mm-hmm. to paint and watercolor and oil and how to do calligraphy. And so I'm kind of an autodidact in a way. I've, <laughs> um, you know, I tend to research things that I find interesting mm-hmm. and practice things that I want to learn. And, you know, we don't really teach ourselves anything, but right. um, we do tend to learn through different channels. And if I learn something by reading a book or watching somebody else, there's still a teacher on the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I followed my interests where they lead, and <laughs> here I am. <laughs> nice. Nice. So you're an artist. And yes. tell us about your art. Well, my paintings and drawings tend to be representational, mm-hmm. and fairly traditional. Um, they're realistic depictions of plants and animals. And I like uh, illustrating um, events in science. I like um, illustrating the small details of nature. And so a lot of my paintings are very quiet in a way. They go like maybe a single... Um, insect or a single uh-huh. kind of plant, mm. and I like to take the time and just kind of look at look at the form and maybe convey some of what some of the wonder of um, you know the form of whatever it is. Yeah, you said realistic representations. Can you say more about that? What did you mean by that? Well, for example, I've done a lot of drawings and paintings of small insects beetles, plants. A lot of times I'll use close-up photography. I'll use a microscope to see the the very fine details. I'll take the time to paint the little hairs on the leg of a beetle, for example. Wow. And really study the structure of the wings or the face or the eye. Mm -hmm. Just just because those things aren't easy to do. We don't tend to do that in our daily lives, but, you know, taking time to really look closely at things, I think, has a lot to teach us. Slow down and take a breath and watch, right? Exactly. Yeah. So why, mm-hmm. did, you, why did you select botanicals? That's a good question. I, I think the reason is that I find them beautiful. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that beautiful things are sometimes missing in our lives. Mm. And yeah. To me, people need beauty. We need to see those natural forms. We need to see the, you know, curling tendrils. There's, there's something, there's something that draws us to those shapes and to the green and the color that that we find in nature. Yeah. And a lot of our urban, you know, lives, we we don't see that a lot. And um, something that I really like about things that you're doing is you're encouraging people to have these plants and things in their urban settings. Yeah. And that not only brings, you know, usefulness, you know, you get the food from growing the plants, but you also get the beauty of, of growing a plant. And, yeah. and I think that's what draws me to them. Nice. So when we're talking botanicals, what does that mean? Botanical artists, and there are, there are several botanical artists who who do this and and 
there are associations of botanical artists and anybody's interested in um, looking into that mm-hmm. it's um, it's definitely a thriving I, don't, I want to say hobby but it's not really a hobby it's an it's an occupation uh-huh. it's a way to spend your time and so botanical artists tend to um, we, we choose a plant we look at it closely from life and sort of try to interpret the shapes and the color values of that plant mm-hmm. onto paper or canvas. And we look at the structure of, you know, say a flower or the structure of a leaf, the structure of the veins. We, we look closely, we observe plants closely mm-hmm. and um, try to capture what makes that plant unique and different including things like the roots and the oh, yeah. um, things that are underground that people don't usually see. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Are there some famous artists out there that people might know that have done botanicals in the past? Oh, yes. many. Uh, there are many famous artists. There are whole books of botanical art that you can find. Oh, wow. My favorite is, uh, one of my favorites would be uh, Joseph Redoute, the French artist um, who's who painted plants, I'm going to get the dates wrong, (laughs) probably the 1700s, I think. um, In the 1700s? Mm-hmm, and there were, you know, there was kind of a renaissance in botanical art in the early uh, 19th century, Mm -hmm. and in fact, I believe we're going through another renaissance of botanical art now. Oh, wow. There are so many people doing this now, especially with all of the talk of... um, climate change and how that's affecting mm. plant species and yeah. trying to just trying to record all of the species that are threatened and endangered is, is kind of spurring people on. So this is, I just got chills when you said that. So this is actually one way mm-hmm. of documenting the history of species then. It absolutely is. And in fact, historically, you know, they didn't have photographs or um, film and so a lot of what we know about plants through history comes from artistic representations Mm. Um, and we can find out a lot about how plants have changed over time from how they've been represented in art so can you share about the history of botanical art well, botanical art, I mean, it's it goes all the way back to illuminated, you know, the first illuminated manuscripts in the 1500s. There have been, there are herbals that go back maybe to the 1400s. I would mm-hmm. have to go back. But there are, there's certainly a long history of uh, representing plants, illustrating um, not what the plant looks like, what the different parts are used for. Mm-hmm. And today, I mean, it, you know, historically, that was kind of the main function of botanical art was to to spread knowledge about oh, what yeah. plants could be used right. for and how they could be um, used as medicines, for example. And today, I, I feel it's more of what we were talking about before, that, that it's people looking closely at plants that are around them, mm-hmm. things that, you yeah. know, we, we see around us every day. <clears throat> So you've used the term both in your bio and live on the show here, illuminated. Yes. What does that mean? Well, an illuminated manuscript, and 
comes from uh, the word itself means to light up, just like in a room, light, right. light up a room. They illuminate the room. Illuminated books have been illustrated not only with bright colors, um, reds and blues especially, but also um, it refers specifically to the use of metals to create shiny surfaces within oh, the book, on the wow. pages of the book. So when an artist uses, for example, gold leaf, uh-huh. Um, to to create a bright color, that that page then is said to be illuminated. Wow! So today, not only can we use metals, uh-huh. things like gold, platinum, um, we can we also have these kind of new, relatively new paints that have iridescent properies. So oh. paint companies are making lines of paint that have very tiny flakes of mica, which capture the light and they cause these reflective properties so what i do is i take those paints those metallic paints and add them to my illustrations in places where there is actual iridescence in the plant or in the animal and i and when you look around when you start noticing this Uh you find that many many plants and animals have this iridescent quality uh-huh. even the you know a plain old leaf on a tree just look at it and you if you look at it closely you'll notice that it sparkles it has little sparkly shiny shimmery uh, points of light and so I'm using those paints to kind of get that quality sparkle mm-hmm. wow <laughs> yeah I okay so I've been gardening here in Phoenix for a little over 40 years Mm-hmm. been participating in the natural environment around us and I've never known that or noticed that. <laughs> okay, well look around now. I think you oh. might start Oh, to I will. That. I will. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell us about your handwritten illustrated manuscript based on the origin of species by Charles Darwin. I I think that's just an amazing project you're doing. It's a big project. It's a big book and it's, been, it's taking me a long time. Mm-hmm. But the idea came to me uh, several years ago, and I've been working at it probably for almost 10 years now mm-hmm. from, you know, its earliest conception. Right. But I'm taking uh, Darwin's work on the origin of species, and I'm handwriting it in calligraphy. I'm separating out sections that I think are important, not not only scientifically, but... Mm-hmm. But for just for people to to read what he wrote and to to understand what he was saying, because I think a, a lot of people have not even read that book, and it's so fundamental to biology mm-hmm. that um, I just think more people need to need to know what's in there. And it really is a beautiful, beautifully written book. It was written for general audiences. It mm-hmm. was a popular science book, but it's turned out to be a very fundamental text as far as um, biology goes. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm writing out the text by hand. All um, of it? The pages, all of it. It's the unabridged first edition. Whoa. And it's the pages are uh, 22 by 30 uh-huh. inches. And I'm also illustrating it with these uh, illuminated 
uh, pictures, pictures that yeah. also kind of uh, branch over into more decorative designs as mm-hmm. far as doing borders um, in addition to, you know, single illustrations. And so if, you, if you've read the book or any part of it, it's the first thing you kind of notice is that Darwin drew from a huge bank of observations mm-hmm. that he made himself around the world that other people made around him. He wrote letters to people. He got um, facts from uh, all, all over the place. Mm-hmm. And he lists them. He really lists them out, and he lists example after example. And so I think the hardest part about doing this is narrowing down what I'm going to put on the page because there are so many examples of what he's talking about. Yeah. So you're putting all the words on the page, but maybe not all the graphics? Well, it would be impossible to to illustrate it. I mean, I think, you know, usually you think about the Bible when you think of an illuminated book and think about how many illuminated Bibles there were. I mean, there were so many ways of illustrating the stories. Well, in the same way, we keep finding new examples of these ideas mm-hmm. and that have to do with all different organisms. And so, I mean, you could, you could illustrate this book a thousand times and uh-huh. it wouldn't overlap. So I think, <laughs> I think I just got it. The original <laughs> origin of species wasn't illustrated and you're illustrating Not it. at all. It has uh... one picture and it's a graph. It's a branching uh, tree graph. Yep, that I've seen. It's not the sketch that you probably you might be thinking of, but um, it's a more complex uh, branching diagram. Uh-huh. But no, it was not illustrated at all. There have been many illustrated um, origin of species versions. Mm-hmm. Lots of people have, you know, photographically and yeah. you know with you know handmade illustrations. This will be the first time that it's been handwritten and made into kind of a work of art in itself. All right, so how far along are you? (laughs) Well, I started out thinking I was going to move in order and go through from beginning to end, and it turns out it's not happening that way. Uh So what I'm doing is I'm kind of following ideas as they come along uh-huh. and doing pages as they come along oh perfect and so it's kind of hard to say <laughs> how far along i am but um i have various pages and various degrees of uh-huh. completion oh nice nice when do you expect to be done i probably won't make my original goal of what i wanted i i had a kind of an interruption that kind of sucked a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. but i'm hoping in five years Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) But we'll see. So what other projects are you working on? I have lots of projects going um, at the same time. I have Mm -hmm. various illustration projects. I'm doing a couple of children's books. Oh, Um, nice. I'm doing a picture book based on a child poet who was writing during the Holocaust. Oh, wow. Wow. from a concentration camp, he left. He wrote a book of poems, and they're absolutely just amazing. And so I've gotten permission from from the boy's uh, stepbrother 
to to illustrate one of his poems, and so oh, nice. um, I've been sending that out to publishers, and then um, I'm also starting work on a children's book with Jerry Coyne, the evolutionary biologist. Um, oh wow! So that's in very early stages. Yeah, I've noticed so, that I've noticed that your art's showing up on eBay as well. It is. I've been doing this is fairly recent. I've been doing a painting a day. Um, I'm doing small oil paintings of natural objects. So far, it's been mostly fruits, mm-hmm. but I plan to do other things as well. And yes, yeah, so you can find those on eBay. Um, you can find links from my blog. I blog at Kelly Hool Studio. And most of these are studies for uh, Chapter 1 in the Origin of Species Project. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so that you can you can find out more about that. There's, that project has its own website, illuminatedorigin.com, and there's also a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, but these small still life paintings are just from objects I find interesting that day, and um, I sit down for a couple of hours and uh, make a nice. small painting. Most of them are under six inches. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> nice. My mom's my yeah. mom's an artist, and she's done. Is she? Yeah, uh, she's been painting since the '70s. Actually, one of the <laughs> paintings, wow. one of the paintings hanging in here here in my office is my me with uh, carrots hanging over my shoulder. Uh, oh, nice! Yeah, from a picture from the some somewhere around the late '80s or early '90s. <laughs> hmm. So. Well, I highly recommend it as a hobby or you know something to sort of. It's very relaxing. Yeah, yeah. To sit down and 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 look closely at something and focus on that on one thing. It's been very therapeutic for me. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So tell us about your monarch butterfly habitat program. Okay, I I live in a place where I can't grow a lot of things. Um, not I don't have a lot of space. So uh, my husband and I got the idea to help our local elementary school mm-hmm. create a monarch habitat garden from seeds. So we took two desert milkweed pod pods and mm-hmm. took the seeds and we helped uh, the entire second grade class, all the second grade classes at this school, we helped them plant the seeds, grow the seedlings, and wow. thanks to a very uh, cooperative and encouraging principal, we mm-hmm. we were allocated a space at the school where <coughs> where the kids can can go every day at recess and walk through the garden. Right. And so we're kind of volunteering our time and efforts to create these spaces in elementary schools. Nice. Right now. Mm-hmm. Nice. And we're hoping that their milkweed plants will grow and then they can yeah. share those seeds with other yeah. schools. Perfect. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Mm, I have failed at so many things, <laughs> so many times. It so, would be hard to narrow it down. We all have. Um, I have some epic <laughs> ones, I promise you. <laughs> I think I think the thing I learned is to, to um, you know, if something knocks me down, I tend to keep getting back up again, mm, and... Mm-hmm. You know, right after I had I had a very successful Kickstarter campaign for the Origin of Species project, mm-hmm. and um, and I 
was inundated with these requests for commissioned paintings and oh, um, artwork, and nice. it was actually it was amazing. And and right after that happened, I kind of had these this kind of string of personal events that kind of really Slowed knocked the wind out of me. Yeah. Yes, and so it would have been very easy to quit. It would have been very easy to give up and not, you know, just be done. Mm-hmm. But but I didn't. I I, you know, people were so understanding and so encouraging. They just really wanted to see this happen. And so I, you know, I kept getting back up and and trying, trying again. And and it's worth it. I think, um, you know. There's something to be said for tenaciousness and <laughs> um, wanting to really wanting to overcome setbacks. Yeah. You know, the other thing would be the other thing I've learned is t- is to listen to critics, listen to what people are saying. Mm, yeah. you, you you may be making a mistake <laughs> <laughs> at, at here or there, and and it's worth listening to people and kind of setting aside ego and just listen to what needs to happen to 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 make something successful and i'm sure um you know of course that that applies to to growing things um oh yes have (laughs) setbacks and difficulties and but you know you try something it doesn't work look at what happened and be Mm -hmm. scientific and be systematic about your approach and um and you know Sometimes it takes <laughs> multiple times to get it right. You know, there I've are many more ways to get something wrong than there I, are to get I, it right. I, so it, yeah, so it makes sense to to not give up right away. Yeah, as an entrepreneur for my entire life, I started my first. <laughs> I had a paper route when I was twelve, but I started my first business when I was fifteen. Was a fifteen. Wow. I've known this for many decades that it takes, on average, twenty-seven attempts. To get to 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 be successful at business. Now, some people do it a lot faster, but on average, yeah, twenty-seven attempts. It's like wow, wow. it's amazing. And and luck plays a part <laughs> for <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, what um, do you consider your biggest success? That's a hard one too. I feel like it hasn't happened yet, but <laughs> for me, I think. Um, you know, I've gone through life kind of feeling like an outsider in a lot of ways because I do I do have diverse interests and, mm-hmm. and we don't all fall into one thing that we want to do for the rest of our lives and feel like, you know, we're good at. Yeah. Some people have, you know, multiple passions and want to pursue things that seem different. So I think for me, I feel like figuring out how to combine all those things is is my bi- biggest success in nice. that I feel like I have I have a direction now. I feel like yeah. I've figured out a way to kind of put it all together, and and it's okay <laughs> uh-huh. to 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 be interested in in more than one thing, and to yeah. and there are ways of combining those interests. So you know, I got a degree from ASU in that. They call it interdisciplinary studies. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, well, good for them for yeah. having that because well, it, there are those people out there, and yeah. and it's and a lot of times our we solve problems from from 
from other fields uh, and right. with solutions right. from other fields. Yeah, so. exactly. So what drives you? You know, I said this before, but I think for me, it's going to sound cliche, but for me, it's, it's beauty and truth mm-hmm. and that I really feel we need beauty in our lives. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's um, nourishing to us. And I also feel very strongly about pursuing uh, scientific truth and authenticity and um, coming up with, you know, clear explanations for things mm-hmm. and, and passing on knowledge in a clear way so that others can truly understand yeah. what you've learned. And I've learned from so many, you know, people in, in various ways, and thank goodness people are out there, you know, writing books, <laughs> sharing, you know, being teachers, showing, you know, now mm-hmm. YouTube videos, you can go on and learn oh how to gosh, do yes. anything. So thank goodness there are people doing that and sharing sharing their knowledge, but, but that's something that, that really drives me, and yeah, um, kind of trying to make the world a better place through through education and, yeah. and beauty. And, by the way, that does not sound cliche at all. It sounds beautiful. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. I am all about education, and I have to know, what book, has there been one book that has been most mm-hmm. influential for you in this process? That's a tough one, too. I ha- I'm, I'm a book collector. I, <laughs> I make books. I love books. And you can't ask me to pick a favorite. But, you know, thinking about that question, I would say that there's, there's this kind of path of books through my life that have been kind of stepping stones, you know, kind of leading me in some direction, mm-hmm. you know, that, that where I ended up now. And, I mean, I can look back and see, think of books from my childhood, like Eric Sloan's The Weather Book and The Stars by H.A. Ray to, you know, high school, it was Cosmos by mm-hmm. Carl Sagan. Oh, I remember yeah. reading that and just being, um, you know, completely changed by that to Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. That mm-hmm. was another one that just um, really inspired me. There have just been kind of this trail of... Um, Beautiful, wonderful scientific books. books. Yes, that were yeah. that also had these um, compelling visual components oh. as well. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> of course. So... And then there have also been books by artists who who oh, yes. were not afraid to share what they know. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like um, uh, Richard Schmidt's All the Prima is excellent for painting. Letters to a Young Poet by Rilke was extremely helpful, <laughs> practically and and just generally in, inspirational. Yeah. Me so so don't ask me to pick a favorite. Okay. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Can't do it. So what one final piece of advice you have for our listeners? Oh my gosh! Keep growing food, and share what you know with people who want to learn from you. Mm-hmm. You know, plants. Keep adding. You know, adding to our base of knowledge of of how to, um, you know, how to create wonder and beauty in our in our lives and mm-hmm. our daily lives. And keep trying something. If you fail at something, don't don't give up. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Kelly. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. 
Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you, find your art, support you? Okay, I think I mentioned before, I, I do blog at Kelly Hool Studio. You can also find uh, my website, kellymhool.com. Mm-hmm. There's also a special, all, from there you can find all the links to various projects Perfect. that I mentioned. And you can also send me an email from there. Perfect. Excellent. Well, that's it for today. Okay. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Decades ago, I started growing food in my front and backyard, and I realized that my mission in life is to inspire and empower others to grow their own nutrient-dense, healthy, organic food. Because of this, a lot of people have come to me with their gardening questions over the years, and that got me thinking, what if we put together a community that would help budding gardeners blossom? So I finally made the idea a reality with my Urban Farm U member program. Each month, your membership includes three live online events, a monthly class, a chit-chat with an expert, and a monthly coaching session, plus access to the experts on our member page and a significant discount on our signature courses. I'm deeply committed to transforming our global food system, and I do this by empowering you to grow your own food. The Urban Farm Membership Program is a simple way to get going. Please join me in transforming your food system today. To learn more, go to urbanfarmmembership.org or text MEMBERSHIP to 33444. That's urbanfarmmembership.org or text MEMBERSHIP to 33444. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.